How many of you um, have seen those infomercials where there's people that are just really clumsy and they're dropping and spilling and fumbling things? Have you ever seen these? What I want you to do is I, I want you to watch this and then we're going to talk about it. Okay? So, Steve, if you could run this, go ahead. Take a look. Help. I need somebody. Help. Not just anybody. Help. You know, I need someone. Help. When I was young, was so much younger than today. I never needed anybody's help in any way. Well, the, this group, the name of the group was uh, There's Got to Be a Better Way. And they would come up with all these, these lame gadgets, I, you know, they were, but they would show these clumsy things where people were, were spilling milk or getting their foot stuck in a pan of something, and then they would have some save-all, fix-all deal that would help you so that you would discover the better way. And when we read in Hebrews, the chapter that we're reading, Really, that's what they're struggling with is there's got to be a better way. There's just got to be a better way than what we're doing. Christianity has not turned out like they thought it would turn out. And so what what happens to us is we naturally start looking for, man, there's just got to be a better way. Because the reality is, is that we're made by the perfect for the perfect. We're destined for heaven, the perfect place, right? And we're made by God, the perfect one. And so what happens to us as we move along in life is we start to notice that everything around us is broken. There's something wrong with everything. It's just falling apart. And you, you see all kinds of crazy things like pilots flying planes that are loaded with innocent people into the side of the mountain. You go, man, there, it's, it's just a broken world. And then... We wake up in the morning and, and we start to realize, I'm, I'm broken too. I've got, I've got things that are going on in my life. I'm, I'm, maybe I don't feel like I'm smart enough or I can't sing or I'm too slow or I'm too broke or I'm too afraid or I, I can't stop that habit. And I, I feel like, man, there's just got to be a better way. What is it in us that looks for the better way? It's an affirmation that there must be something perfect, right? Otherwise, why would we do it? Why don't we just surrender and say, well, this is just the way it is? But we, we find ourselves, when we hit those 
moments, like the little video clip where we're saying, help, I need somebody. Obviously, I can't do it on my own. I, I don't have enough, or I'm not strong enough, or I'm not fast enough, or I'm not smart enough, or I'm not able enough. And so I, I feel like, help, will someone please come and help me? There's got to be a better way. Now, into this, God steps, the perfect one. And, and as we read through today's passage, I want you to listen for the word perfect. When you hear perfect, just stick your hand up. Say, I heard it. So listen to perfect and where it pops up as you walk through the passage. I think you have in your bulletin uh, the passage so you can read along on the screen or in your bulletin. So, if the priesthood of Levi, verse 11, chapter 7, on which the law was based could have achieved the perfection God intended, that's all those hands, <laughs> why did God need to establish a different priesthood with a priest in the order of Melchizedek instead of the order of Levi and Aaron? And if the priesthood is changed, the law must also be changed to permit it. For the priest we are talking about belongs to a different tribe whose members have never served at the altar as priests. What I mean is our Lord came from the tribe of Judah, and Moses never mentioned priests coming from that tribe. This change has been made very clear since a different priest, who is like Melchizedek, has appeared. Jesus became a priest, not by meeting the physical requirement of belonging to the tribe of Levi, but by the power of a life that cannot be destroyed. And the psalmist pointed this out when he prophesied, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Yes, the old requirement about the priesthood was set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law never made anything perfect. Way to go, you guys. But now we have confidence and a better hope through which we draw near to God. This new system was established with a solemn oath. Aaron's descendants became priests without such an oath, but there was an oath regarding Jesus. For God said to him, The Lord has taken an oath and will not break his vow. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus is the one who guarantees this better covenant with God. There were many priests under the old system, for death prevented them from remaining in the office. But Jesus lives forever. His priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. He is the kind of high priest we need because he's holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He has been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. Unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once for all when he offered himself as a sacrifice for people's sins. The law appointed high priests who were limited by human weakness. But after the law was given, God appointed his son with an oath, and his son has been made the perfect high priest forever. Good job. You keep hearing perfect. Now, your brain can get kind of scrambled here. There's lots of little moving parts that are happening. But what we want to do is pay attention to the big picture because you can get sidetracked with all this talk about priests and priesthood and Melchizedek and what does that mean but Melchizedek represents something. That's what the author's saying. Like when you see this, you look at that, and what is that? It's the, it's the flag, right? And when you look at it, do you look at it and you go, well, I see 
red and white stripes and a blue background and white stars, what do you say that is? It's the flag of America. And it means something, doesn't it? It represents something. And so, in this passage, Melchizedek is representing something. It's a chance for us to become perfect. It's not about Melchizedek. It's about us. It isn't some kind of history lesson about priests. It isn't some history lesson about this obscure guy that you only really see once in the Old Testament. It's not about that. It's about us. And it's about us getting a chance to return to perfect. Now, that probably sounds a little weird. Because right now, you might be thinking, well, Mark, my life isn't perfect. It's not perfect. Stay with me. We need to go back to the passage. Because here's what the writer says. So if the priesthood of Levi, on which the law was based, could have achieved the perfection God intended, notice something here. When we hear that word perfect, we have our own version And God has his own version. And where we need to get to is, what does it mean to God? Not to us, but what does he mean when he says that we need to be perfect? And this is important to get because the reality is for us is we crave relief. God seeks relationship. Think about the people that are getting this letter. The struggle that's going through. What's happened is they are being challenged for their faith. And people are coming in there. They're seizing their property. They're persecuting them. Some are in prison. Some are being beaten for their faith. It's not working. And and in those moments when life doesn't seem right to us, we look for relief. Don't we? I mean, that's just natural. And so when you walk into a place, usually if you say, you know, what do you think about It's perfect. It's usually because it's going to be comfortable. It's going to be nice. It's going to be absent of any kind of conflict or tension. But you need to understand that what God is after isn't that. He's after a relationship. He's building something in us. And this is why later on, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Hebrews 12. The writer says some things. And, you know, part of the challenge of going through a book like this is, We get little snapshots, but it's building to a crescendo. It's part of an argument that's taking you to an end. And and this so the writer is moving things and it culminates, it builds at the end of the letter. But listen to the writer says in chapter twelve, starting at at verse two, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but this is what he says. He says, Listen, my children, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Now, listen, endure hardship as discipline. Why? Because God is treating you as children. And then it goes on to say, for what children are not disciplined by the father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it, didn't necessarily like it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. 
No discipline seems pleasant at the time. Can I get an amen? But painful later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. It seems so backwards to us. Think for a moment about your journey starting with Jesus. And think about your growth, the places where you you learn such wonderful things like patience. Do you learn patience by not having a challenge? Did you have you ever prayed for patience? Don't ever pray for patience. Cuz you know how patience comes, right? There's going to be all kinds of tests and trials. You know, so you don't do that. So what you realize when you go back over in in the bridge, we we kind of looked at our life story because every one of you is a living gospel. You're a story that's being read of all people. And if you think of your gospel story starting with Jesus, would you not say that the times where your faith grew deepest, where your character flourished, where your weakness was made strong, wasn't it during the hard times? Come on, people, talk to me. Wasn't it? That's that's, that's those hard times. You go, ah, do you want to go there? No. See, if we were driving the car, we'd go, no. I'm pulling over here to this resort, Jesus. They have hot tubs. Cold lemonade. I'm not. So what the writer has to get us to understand is this perfection process. And that really the key piece is that righteousness and peace. You see, when you are right, you have peace. When you are right with God, when you are right with others, there's peace. And when you have that disagreement with your spouse, that's when there's unrest, right? You don't snuggle up. Oh, honey, I'm so glad we're arguing. Can we fight some more? We don't do that. No. See, when we're right, that's where we experience peace. And this, this is the, the, the cue here, is that this name, Achizedek, means king of righteousness. And then also, king of Salem, which means king of peace. Jesus is coming to bring it. That's what his priesthood does. I'm coming to make you right. I'm coming to finally set it right. And when you get it right, you're going to discover peace that no one can take away. Not as the world gives. I give you peace that stays. You're right with the Father. You're right with your brothers and sisters. You are right, and therefore you have great peace. And that's what the priest is coming. And that's what this perfect package is all about. It's not about some history lesson. It's not about Melchizedek and you're just like, wow, I hope there's not a quiz on this. You know, it's not about that lineage. It's about you stepping into the blessing of the priest who is coming to bring rightness and peace at last. Because all of us, like Romans 8 says, all creation's groaning. I groan when I see some of the stuff on the news. I just go, oh, God. I saw that plane crash with this pile in and I was like, oh, Lord, all those families. I groan over that. Sometimes I finish a counseling session and I just close the door and I just, oh, this is not, this is not how it should be, O King of Righteousness. Come make it right. Come bring your peace. 
So about now, you should be having this mental challenge where you're like, yeah, I want righteousness, Mark. I want peace. Why? Why doesn't it just happen? And this is the tension the Hebrews are in. There's an old way and there's a new way. The old way is still alive and well. I wish the old way will go away. It will one day. When Jesus returns, he rolls up the place and says, okay, it's a new order. It's a new day. It's a new world. It's a new beginning. But until that moment, the old way still has the possibilities. It still has a little breath. And the old way is all about this. It's when we want to do it on our own. It's when we want to find our way on our own. You see, the Hebrews are struggling, and they're going through these challenges, and and they're going, man, there's got to be a better way. And they're quickly letting go of the king of righteousness. They're quickly letting go of the possibility of peace. And they're starting to shop for another way. Some of them want to go back to to the Jewish tradition. Can can you imagine? How many of you have ever looked at at the Levitical long list of sacrifices? It's, it's a long list, Brendan has. It's, it's a long list. And, you know, most people, what kind of society is Israel? It's an agrarian society. And so, um, how many of you grew up on farms or worked on farms? Any of you folks? We had a football team. We, in order to get our quarterback to play, we had to go help milk cows. And then after that, after our chores were done, we can go practice football. Now, the thing about it, uh, our quarterback's name was Mark Clausing. His dad was Gilbert Clausing. I think the guy milked cows for 200 years. He'd kind of go like this. He'd shuffle in. And he, he, he had names for his cows. Nellie, Bob Nellie, you know. How you doing, Bertha? Slap her on the side. All the cows. He was like a shepherd, but with cows. And old Gilly, he'd kind of shuffle along, and we'd bring him in, and look at him, he'd be talking to his cows. Can you imagine how it would feel for Gilly to take one of those cows to have to sacrifice it? It's not pretty. The priest would slice the neck, and I'll let you fill in the blanks. And they prepare for a sacrifice. And here's the thing about it, is that's, that's just one time. It's, it's every time. Over and over again. You want to go back to that? You want to go back to that? And what's, what happens to us is we want to go back to things because we, we, we hear the old way's voice shouting at us. Straighten up. Get it right, Spencer. Oh, I saw that. That, that was not the total truth, Mark. And it starts poking at us. That's a lie. And you know you're not supposed to lie. In fact, it says liars are some of the people that are getting sent to hell. And you're just crowded. By the, it's like, ah! You're screaming. And you hear this voice of shout, and you feel like this cartoon. Moses shouting, and now I'm going back to get these commandments again. And when I get back, I expect there to be no golden anythings. And what's more, I want this mess cleaned up. And when, when perfect doesn't happen in your life, when you're all of a sudden imperfect, you get caught in this cycle where you feel bad and you know you've done bad. And so th- your natural response is, well, now I'm going to try really hard to do good. And I hope I can good enough to get rid of the bad. And you work and work and work. Does it work? No. 
It's like taking that cow. And, you know, the harder you try, the, the harder you sweat, the more determined you become. It seems like the problem you're wrestling with just gets bigger. Right? I tease about the diet thing because it's like, you've got to lose weight. And everything starts looking like donuts. You're driving down the road. The car next to you is a chocolate frosted donut. You get ready, stoplights, circles, donut holes. You know, it's all you see. And, and when you're trying to do this on your own strength, when you're trying to make yourself perfect, it's a crazy cycle. The same question is, how will I change? How will I become perfect like God wants me to be perfect? And we keep giving the same answer. And then the problem with it is, is that people like that, they get stuck in that cycle. They give up on Christianity. They go, this is nuts. I'm going back to where at least I didn't feel so bad. But what they're giving up, is it Christianity, people? That's not Christianity. That's religion. And you ought to give up that. But I'll tell you what, as much as I preach that, as much as I know that, as much as I read all kinds of books about that, what does it look like? How do you live this life by faith? There is something in me that loves to return to that. Come on, isn't that true? Oh, if I just get myself a little bit better, God will like me a little bit more, and I'll be a little bit happier. Fooey! I can't fix me. Mark Spencer is the biggest problem for Mark Spencer. I'm telling you, Mark Spencer is the troubler of Mark Spencer. It's like God appointed Mark Spencer to persecute Mark Spencer. And you feel like, you feel like these little ducklings. I can't quite get over the hump. I can't do it. You know, look at their little wings. And that's how we are, you know, up in the front of the really hardworking Christians. Look at me go. Mark, you almost made it. Right? Oh, and then you fall down and you go, man, nice effort. Nice work, dude. Yeah, but the hump is still there. We still got to get over that. And that's what the writer is saying. He's saying, listen, man, the law never made anything perfect. Can I get an amen? All the law does is tell us the obvious thing. Mark Spencer's a sinner. Ta-da! Right? That's a news flash. Well, of course, I know that it's making me crazy. I guess the things I, I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I shouldn't do, I do, and I'm caught in that Romans 7. Str- and then he goes on to say, well, listen, we need to have confidence in a better hope through which we draw near to God. Because perfection is about relationship. Remember that. It's not about that religious order. It's not about the to-do list. It's not about checking it all off. It's about the relationship. It's getting to God. The reason that we think we need to be perfect is so we can get to God. But the perfects come, flung wide the doors and said, come on, all you imperfect folks. And we need to have confidence in that. Assurance, And that's what the writer's saying. You need, to, you need to drive a stake in the ground and put your confidence in Jesus, not in yourself. But this gets tricky for us because usually what happens is this place where what God wants to build is our confidence in that. That's the part we don't like. 
Because we, we grew up with McDonald's. God, can't I just drive through McDonald's and get it fixed now? Can't this trial, can't you just go pazow? And it's gone. No. Because what I want you to do is I want you to grow in your trust and confidence in me, the perfect one. Which means we have to learn to wait. How many of you love to wait? Oh boy, another stoplight. Oh, look at these long lines. This is perfect. Right? And and we struggle, we struggle with... So this is why the writer later on says, listen... Don't throw away your confidence. There's that word. It will be richly rewarded. You need to what, people? Say it again. Preach to me like you mean it. You need to what? Yeah, one more time. Yes, and we love that, don't we? We need to persevere. Why? So that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what is promised. You see, there needs to be a test before there's a testimony. Right? And you want to sign up for that now? Should we pass the clipboard? But we're all signed up for it. Because here's, here's the deal. Listen to, listen to when this Melchizedek comes out. Way back in Genesis 14. After Abram returned from defeating Kindaloma. And the kings allied with him. The king of Sodom came out to meet him. After. 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 He persevered. After. He held faithful. After. He stood. After. James says it this way. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So, let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Aren't you excited about this, people? Come on. (laughs) It's perfection. See, we think perfect is when it works for us. God says perfect is worked in us. And so he calls to us and he says, listen, trust perfect. With perfect trust. What does it mean to really trust Him that in those moments where I'm being tested, I have confidence that I have a high priest who has an indestructible life, who has passed through death, who has entered the innermost place, who stands and intercedes for me and is the anchor of my soul. He makes intercession for me. He is my living hope. He is the one who will bring it to pass. And you know what? While I go through hard times, it doesn't matter because that same high priest takes all things and works them together for good. And I have confidence. I may not like the hot seat. I may not like what I'm going through. But the new covenant demands me to put confidence and trust perfect. How many of you know who Henry Nouwen is? You know who Henry is? If you haven't read Henry, you should. I don't always pitch authors or books, but Henry is well worth reading. Uh, Quite an incredible man. And uh, it's given us a lot to think about, about spiritual growth. He was in a time when 
his life was being tested. And uh, lots of challenges. People were making statements about Henry that weren't true. His ministry was being challenged to a core. He himself felt dry and apart from God. And uh, so he took a sabbatical. And uh, he wasn't hearing much from God in those days. And he, and he said, Lord, would you please just direct me? And, and uh, as he prayed that, he turned the page of the newspaper. And as he turned the page of the newspaper, there was a circus ad there. And the Lord said, I want you to go to this circus. And he thought, that can't be God. This is no time for a circus, God. But God kept bothering him. So eventually he thought, well, what, what, would, it bother, I mean, what would it hurt to go to the circus? And so he, he went to the circus and he was particularly attracted to this group called the Flying Rodleys. And there were people that would swing on the trapeze. Right? You've seen that. There were three flyers, and there's two catchers. And he would watch these guys. And he asked them, can I come watch you practice? And they said, sure, he came and watch you practice. And he's watching them, and he, he just he thinks there's something here for him, but he can't quite pin it down. So he's persevering because Henry's a, he's a student. And uh, finally, he has a conversation after one of the shows with this flying Rodleys. And... Uh, he, he says, tell me about this. I, tell me, how does this work? And so this guy who is a flyer says this. He said, flyers are small. They weigh 150 pounds or less. Because if you're a catcher, you don't want a flyer with a sweet tooth. <laughs> that would be me. Man, he looks a little chubby. We're going to let him go. And then he learned about the equipment they use. And they had socks that were filled with magnesium dry powder and all these different things. And, and the and uh, one of the catcher's name was Joe, and this, the one guy who was the flyer said, we, we always make sure he has lots of magnesium socks because he sweats a lot, and if you're a flyer, you don't, want, you, won't, you don't want your catcher to have sweaty hands. Here's what he says. He says, now, Henry, as a flyer, I must have complete trust in my catcher. The public might think that I'm the star of the trapeze because I am flipping and flying through the air, but the real star is Joe, my catcher. He has to be there with a split-second precision and grab me out of the air as I make my long jump. Now and asked him, well, how does that work? And he answered back and said, the secret is that the flyer does nothing. The catcher does everything. When I fly to Joe, I simply have to stretch up my arms and wait. Henry said, you do nothing? A flyer must fly and a catcher must catch. The flyer must trust with the outstretched arms that his catcher will be there waiting for him. Are you ready to fly? Because you have a perfect catcher. That's what this chapter is getting at. Don't stop flying. Don't stop risking. Because the one who catches you is faithful. He will never leave you or forsake you. It's impossible for him to do that. What he said he will do. The question is, will you keep flying? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for just the the way that you keep encouraging us to trust, to believe, and 
you are the trustworthy one. Right now, there are people who may feel like, man, I am flying. I'm in the air. feels like I have no control. Would you, as the king of peace, bring peace to their heart and remind them that you are 100% right? You don't make mistakes. That you're ready to catch. I pray that as we go back to worship, as we get ready for this offering, that, Lord, there'd be a new freedom. In fact, we ask, Lord, that you would send your spirit right now to unbind us, to release us. Places where we have pulled back, where we've trusted other priests, so to speak. Would you come and do a work and restore the order and help us to fly through the air with the greatest of ease because our catcher has us. In Jesus' name, amen.